I'm glad to be here. How about you? Give me some love. Fired up for the day. Hey, why don't you keep those going real quick. Let's welcome everybody who's going to watch later this week online. We are fired up that you guys have joined us too. Hey, almost every week I hear from somebody who's watching online who can't be here this week, so it's a big deal. Thanks for joining us via the computer screen later this week. Hey, like Sam said, we are in the fifth week of a series called The Pursuit of Happiness, and I'm telling you what, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, next week, we actually land the ship. We're going to conclude the series, and we've kind of saved the best for last, so I would say make sure you get here. Ryan's got a fun song to be played still, and, and I'm telling you what, it's going to be good. Um, but so far, we've uh, kind of looked at this idea that all of us are in a pursuit. We all have a pursuit of this thing called happiness in our life, and there's nothing wrong with that because we all want to be happy. I mean, you want to be happy, I want to be happy. Cy from, you know, Duck Dynasty would say, happy, happy, happy. You know, he just loves, you know, we all want to be happy. And I've often said for my own self that I'd be happy if I lost a few pounds, drove a nicer car, and had a little bit more money in my bank account. I'd be happy, and I know you would be too. I mean, this would be the truth. The only problem that we've discovered the whole series is that happiness is temporary. Because what do you do when the car dies? Or what do you do when your smoke alarms, you know, go bad in your house? What do you do when you gain the extra pounds and you're not happy anymore? I'm just telling you, it's an unfortunate truth that happiness comes and goes almost as quick, you know, as it comes and goes. And it's just a, it's an endless chase. And so there's got to be more. And the good news is that there is more. There's more to life than the pursuit of happiness. And there's this thing called Joy. Now, we've also been kind of piggybacking the series up with a book of the Bible called the book of Philippians. And this book has been huge for us because it's a book written by a guy named Paul. And the book is incredible because of the context, because of the scene that it was written in. See, you got this guy named Paul, and he's writing to a group of believers from a prison cell in Rome. He's beaten up, chained up, and you would think that the whole theme of the book would be depression, you know, like, you know, like, woe is me, but instead the theme of this entire book is be joyful. Choose joy, despite your circumstances. Now, Paul, if anybody would have, you know, permission to write a book in the Bible on kind of suffering and kind of all these downcast things, it would be Paul, but in this one book, four chapters long, this is a short book, he writes about joy over 15 times. And the theme verse of the entire book is this one. I'll put it on the screen for you. Philippians 4, 4, where he writes this. Always be full of joy. So convicting to me. Always be full of joy. Not just when you, you know, have the good stuff coming your way. He says always be full of joy. But key phrase here is in the Lord. He says always be full of joy, but be full of joy in something, in your relationship with God. And he says it again, rejoice. You see, being joy-filled, friends, is massively different than happiness. We've actually been defining it this way. I'll put this on the screen for you too. Happiness is dependent on what happens to me, and joy is dependent on what's in me. Happiness is dependent on, you know, the external circumstances around us. I mean, it really does matter kind of what's happening to you if you're happy or not, but joy is different. Joy lasts. It weathers the storm. It's able to carry you from here to there. And the reason why is because it's not dependent on the circumstances around you. It's dependent on what's inside of you. Again, that's why Paul writes this in 4.4. 4. He says, always be full of joy, but be full of joy in something. Be full of joy in the Lord. We Actually, a couple weeks ago, I asked you this question. Are you in the Lord or are you just in church? And again, there's no shame in that. We love being a church that anybody can come to, that we actually kind of pride ourselves on this. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you. You're absolutely welcome here. 
But I'm telling you what, I would be like doing pastoral malpractice if I told you that you can find joy in anything else other than Jesus. And it's his love, and it's his grace, and it's his hope, and it's his forgiveness for your life that moves us to a spot of having joy despite our circumstances. And so today's message, again, it kind of turns a corner going a little bit more serious. But today's message is how do you overcome your past? I mean, I wonder in a room this size how many of you have a past that is dominating your life right now. A past in your life that is just kind of dictating your future right now. And I'm telling you what, I actually have been praying for this all week long that maybe if you come in here right now burdened by the last year or the last decade or somewhere in between of your life where you're just going, oh, the mistakes or oh, the pain that I've experienced, that you would leave here changed, that you'd leave here with hope, that you'd leave here with a sense of going, I know God's for me. Despite my past, what's inside of me can carry me through to the future. And so quick question to get us started this morning is what regrets do you have in your past? By no means do I need you to respond out loud. It'd be really awkward here. But what regrets do you have? What regrets come to your mind? I mean, I, I'm guessing that all of us, if we were to sit in that for long enough, we would be able to like pen, you know, like a whole nother book of the Bible, just the regrets that we have in our lives. I mean, for me, they can start off kind of uh, lighthearted. I regret almost every fashion phase that I had in junior high and high school. I'm not sure if you're with me on that, but every, every fashion phase I went through junior high and high school was just horrible. I'll put on the screen, here's a picture of me going to a high school dance. I was six foot three, 160 pounds, and I was bound and determined to buy triple extra large clothes everywhere I could. So I got this, I still don't have, you know, I got chicken wings for shoulders, but I would wear these baggy shirts, and who buys, I, you can't see it on there, but those are like pleated grandpa pants. And I'm like, why was I doing that? And I, I still to this day remember, they're, they're comfortable, I can move in these things, and I'm just like, what a loser. I mean, it only got worse from there, because then there's this phase, and some of you who are like in the, you know, end of your 20s or, you know, mid mid-30s, you know the phase of the frosted tips. I mean, here's a picture of me with this thing over my head. Yeah, oh yeah, I know what some of you remember. All right, and they'd put this like wrap over your head and they would rip out hair, you know, like spoke it through. And then they would bleach your head. You gotta be kidding me. This was like so cool in high school, but I regret it so bad. I mean, this girl, I can't believe she did this for me, but she was just like digging in there, ripping it out. Then they took like a, beach, a bleach bath and your hair pops out, and it's just crazy. I mean, I regret that so bad. At least I don't have regrets like Sam. Again, take a peek at Sam. This is, look at that mop top. I'm like, good grief. Sam regrets that. I mean, if you're like me, you regret all your fashion phases. I mean, we all do. But what do you do when your regrets aren't just fashion? To be quite honest, I hate even remembering this. I have a memory, my brother, leads worship. He's just phenomenal at what he does. I'm six years older than Ryan, and in high school, I was an absolute moron. I remember a party that I was throwing at my house, and he was eight years old at the time, and I did everything in my power to get my eight-year-old brother drunk. He's a kid, and it's a regret that I have that I just, I cannot even believe it. Some of the regrets that I have just from this last week are times where I've lost my cool at home. And I'm, I get short with my, my four little girls, my wife, and I'm going, come on. 
There's just regrets. What are yours? I mean, we all have them. We all have the funny ones. We all have the serious ones. We all have them in between. My, my suspicion is that you come in here and you know what it's like to have regrets of the words that you've shared. The words you've said in anger. The words you've said to your spouse, your kids, maybe it's your employees or your boss, and you're going, I can't believe I let that come out of my mouth after all these years of growing up. And it's just a regret that you have. Others of you know what it's like to have a regret of a, of a sexual kind of past, and you're going, oh, man, even you saying that tone, just move on quick. You know, it's just a bad regret. And the decisions you made in high school or college, or it just, it, it dominates you. Others of you know what it's like to have the regret of an addiction that you've never been able to overcome. And it's not so much a regret of the past, it's a regret of last night or Friday night. And you're going, oh man, I just, I regret that I never, I never made the counseling appointment. I regret that I, I ruined my first marriage. I regret that I let that slip in and damage my relationship with my kids or my parents. And it's just a regret that you have and you don't know what to do with it, and it just eats you up inside, and others of you have the regrets of financial decisions. You bought the house you couldn't afford, or the boat, or the car, you mortgaged the, you know, the things that you shouldn't have, you, you credit carded the TV, and the extra pairs of whatever, and it's just, it hangs over you, and in the stress that it causes on your family, you're just going, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have done that, and it's a regret in your past. If you're like me with kids, you have regrets constantly over how you're parenting yours. And it's just constant. You just go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have, you know, let that word come out. I wish I would have handled that with more poise. I wish I would have taken my time more and not rushed them on. I wish I wouldn't have thought everything was so important that I think is so important because everybody else does. And you just live in this spot, and I just wonder, what's yours? Because I got enough. I just read through like most of mine. What are yours? See, the truth is, King David, the guy who wrote the majority of the Psalms, knew exactly what it was like to be overwhelmed by his regrets. Listen to this in Psalm 38, verse 4. I wonder if you can relate to this. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me. You ever been there? He says, my guilt has absolutely overwhelmed me. He says, it's overwhelmed me. It's like a burden that is too heavy for me to bear. I don't even know if I can manage. He goes, this thing is so heavy in my life, and I don't know if I can move forward. And I just got a phrase I'm going to put on the screen for you. You can write it down if you're quick enough. But your past isn't your past if it's still impacting your present. See, some of us, we go, that was my past, but it's not still your past if it's still kind of dictating where you go in the present, if it's still kind of driving you moving forward. Your past isn't your past if it's still impacting your present. And so there's got to be hope. I mean, because if we live in this constant state of being overwhelmed and overcome by our past, then it just leaves us in a spot of hopelessness. But Paul would say, in this little chunk of scripture, you'd say, no, 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 there's hope. There's something more, and i got to tell you more. See, the big idea of the morning, it's another phrase I'll put on the screen for you, is this. Who you were yesterday doesn't determine who you can be today. Who you were yesterday doesn't determine who you can be today. Paul gives us insight into what that looks like. Listen to what he says in chapter 3 of this 
I mean, it's a short little book of the Bible, but it's packed with such great stuff. It says this in verse 12. It says, not that I've already obtained all this. He's talking about being perfect, you know, living with Jesus, you know, kind of walking around, just not worrying about sin because he's arrived. You know, he's, he's good. He goes, I haven't attained all this. Are you kidding me? But he says, or have I been made perfect? He says, but I press on. That's, that's huge. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me, and I'm straining towards what is ahead. This is what Paul was about. He wasn't going to be somebody who was focused on the rear view mirror. He wasn't going to be focused looking in over his shoulder. He's saying, I got to press on. I got to be somebody who's known in my life as somebody who looks ahead, and I'm telling you what, I want that for my own, and I know you do too. You don't want to be people who walk around just burdened by your past. We got to be those that are like Paul that move forward. Listen to what he goes on to say this in the next verse. He says, I, not that I've already achieved it. He says, again, I'm not perfect. Are you kidding me? God's just gracious enough to use a guy like me. He says, I haven't achieved it, but kind of the key stuff of the morning is this, but I focus on this one thing. If there is one thing that you grab this whole morning, it would be this next sentence out of the pages of Scripture. He says, I focus on one thing, and the thing is this, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, you want to overcome your past? Forget it. Forget about it. And focus and what's ahead? You want to be done with, you know, the, the words that you once said? Well, forget about them. You might be going, Are you, is it that easy? Well, in the original language, the original language that the Bible is written in is much more, you know, has so much more nuances to it. It literally meant this, this phrase, forgetting the past, literally meant to treat with thoughtful inattention. You are purposefully choosing to think about your past with no attention. I'm not going to give it any thought. It means to show willful neglect. I'm going to willfully neglect to even let this thing in my brain anymore. And I love the last one, to banish from my thoughts. So the big question that I hope you're asking is how? I mean, how in the world do you do that? What are the, what are the steps that I can take? What are the movements that I can have? What are the truths that I can hold on to to help me forget my past and move forward to what lies ahead. Well, I'm glad you guys all asked this morning, so I'm going to give you a couple, all right? Number one is this, if you want to write this down, is your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Friends, your biggest sins, the big ugly ones, are not too big for God's grace. Just so you know, this is Paul's story. He would have wrote down, forget your past and focus on what lies ahead, and, and this thought would have crossed his mind, like, oh my word, I can't even believe I can write that down. Because he knew that his biggest sins were not too big for God's grace. Paul would willingly admit amongst this, a crowd like this, he'd go, I'm the biggest sinner of us all. I got the most junk by far in the whole room. Paul, prior to knowing Jesus, was a Pharisee. He was somebody who opposed Christians tried to tear down, you know, their faith in Christ. In Acts chapter 6, it actually talks about Paul ordering a Christ follower to be put to death. I mean, this guy was a bad dude. And so when he says that his biggest sins can be forgiven, he's like, oh my word, I got to tell you, this is, this is life-changing for my past to know that that stuff no longer has to dictate my future. I can move forward. My biggest sins aren't too big for God's grace. 
Paul was focusing on what lied ahead, and that meant that he had to understand that. That God's grace was bigger than his biggest sins. I'm not sure how many of you remember, this is a weird transition, I'm not sure how many of you remember this thing called the Etch-A-Sketch. I'll put it on the screen for you. If, you, you know, if you're younger than me, you don't remember, you're like, what is that? Two knobs? And like, obviously this person had too much time on his hands. That's a good drawing. But the Etch-A-Sketch, what it was, it had these two knobs and you could draw something in it and, and it's kind of like sand and you work your way in and through the, the little pad and, and, and if you messed up or if you, you were done, I don't know what you do, but you, if you're done, you're like, hey, check this out. And then how many of you know you'd shake it and then it would erase, right? You, you do this. Well, I actually kind of like the Etch-A-Sketch a lot, actually. And I was, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of a closet artist. I like drawing. I like doing this type of stuff. But now, guess what? There's a modern day Etch-A-Sketch and it's called the Boogie Board. I know, a terrible name, but check this out. So it's the, it's the Boogie Board. You could actually, it comes with a cool stylus too. Um, I, one of our singers up here, Amy, she was like, yeah, like the elementary kids are kind of into these. And I'm like, shoot, so am I. You know, like, anyways, but you can draw on it and you can take notes and, and you, can, you can mess around. And at any time, I'll show you, at any time, if you press the erase button, boom, gone, you know. And I'm like, crap, that took me a long time to do that. But, like, but I love that. I love it. It's kind of this, this modern day. Instead of shaking it, you press the button. You can scribble on there, boom, and there's 50,000 of them, so don't worry about the battery dying. It's brand new, and it's just it's pretty good stuff. But here's what happened in the office this week. I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about kind of talking to you this morning. And God kind of brought up the Etch-A-Sketch, and he brought up this thing to me, and it's on this idea of forgetting the past. You see, what I love about the Etch-A-Sketch and what I love about the boogie board is there's no memory. There's none. You could draw on there all day long, and if you click the button, erase, it's gone. Now, here's what I want to tell somebody in the room. I want to tell somebody in the room that for far too long, you've been carrying the words that have been told you in your past for far too long. And instead of pressing the erase button, you just accumulate more. You accumulate words like abused, no good, divorced, loser, ugly. You have words like, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be loved. You fill in the blank. And these words just dominate you. You have words of regret in your past, drank too much. Addicted to, fill in the blank. You have these words that dominate you and they almost just kind of hang around your chest and you just kind of do life with them. All the while, what's in the corner is an erase button waiting for you to just press it and it's gone. I'm telling you, somebody in the room needs to know that with God with you, that is as easy as your past being gone in his eyes. If we would just press the erase button, it's kind of like God going, hey, I know you got sin and junk. I know you have stuff in your past, but if you just trust me, if you would just, kind of big churchy words, if you would just confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus can forgive you of your sins, it's like pressing the erase button. But for far too long, we have a bunch of people who walk around just going, yeah, I'm just dominated by my past. I can never get over it. I can never kind of move forward because I just have this thing hanging around my neck, dictating who I am. And I'm just, I'm just kind of the one to say, press the erase button. Just press it. God's going, if you want to forget it, you just have to press the button. Paul would say, your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. And if you're in the room and you're going, oh, 
that works for you. You're a sinner up there, you know. I'm just going, be quiet. We all are. I mean, let's just be honest. We all got junk in our lives. Listen to what it says in the Bible. It says this. If we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. And we're refusing to accept the truth. We all got it. I don't meet too many people who go around going, I don't got any junk in my life. Look at me. I'm like, stop it. We all do. But here's kind of the hope in the Bible, it says this, if we confess our sins to Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. It's just like a boogie board. It's just like the Etch-a-Sketch. If we just have the courage to confess, if we just can tell God, hey, God, here I am, I got the junk, but would you take me as I am? We talk about it being this faith line where we step over the line of faith and we move from ourselves in our own kind of willingness and our own ability to get us to, to heaven and deal with our own junk to going, God, I can't, and I've got to transfer it over to you who can. Two of the maybe most hope-filled verses that you don't hear about very often is Psalm 103, verse 12. It says this, God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's like a boogie board. You can't get it back. Here's one in Isaiah where God is actually speaking, he says, I alone, what I'm going to do is I'm going to blot out, I'm going to erase, I'm going to get rid of your sins for his own sake, not for your own sake. He's going, I'm going to get rid of your sins for my own sake. I don't like seeing you like this. And God's going, I'm going to forgive you for your own sake and for my own sake. And catch this, I will never think of them again. Talk about overcoming your past. If God doesn't think about your junk anymore, neither should we. Our biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. There is no sin, there's no junk in our life that's out of the reach of God's grace. He's got it for you if we would just accept it and move forward. The second truth, if you're still taking notes, is this. Your sin doesn't define you. Your sin doesn't define you. Never has. God does. He loves you way too much to let some sin define your life. Your sin does not define you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, maybe one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has stepped over the faith line, if, if you've made that move, something has happened. I, I love this. You're a new creation. The old is gone. Your past is gone. And the new has come. It's great news. For somebody in the room, that's what you needed to hear. Are you kidding me? Do you really mean to tell me if I have, if I move over the faith line, if I put my trust in Christ, God really can get to this spot where he doesn't think of my sins any longer. My old can be gone. The new life can come. And I'm telling you what, that's exactly what happens. There's an, there's an altering, you know, a life-changing thing that happens to your core identity. You're no longer who you were in the past. You are who God says you are for the future. And I'm telling you what, that is great news. And my girls, they are kind of creeping me out right now because they are so into digging in the dirt. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for that. I have girls. You know, I thought they'd be in the basement like tea parties all day. But right now, they like love being in our backfield. I know that's really, you know, sexist, but like, anyways, they're out there digging. Like yesterday, you know, when it kind of got nice out there, like, Dad, we need to go buy shovels. I'm like, what? You know, I don't even have shovels. So anyways, we got to go buy shovels now because they want to go out and they want to dig and they want to be in the field. And anyways, it's ruining all their clothes and it's just annoying. But 
every once in a while, you see Kara. Kara's our, you know, our middle one, and she'll come out, and she's kind of, she's brave and kind of goofy. I'll say, check this out. It's a worm day. And I'm like, don't eat it. Don't eat it. You know, you eat about everything else, but don't eat that, you know, and, and so they'll grab bugs out of the, you know, ground, and they'll come up, and they'll show us, and, and it just reminded me as I was getting into this, too, that there's a bug that every once in a while they'll find called the caterpillar, and the caterpillar is this I'll put a picture of the caterpillars. It reminds me of this book called The Very Hungry Caterpillar. It's this ugly, fat worm, you know? It's just what it is. It's kind of hairy, and, and they kind of just scooch along. And, and I got this book, because, uh, again, if you have kids, you read this thing all the time. And, and, uh, and you read about this caterpillar who, you know, hatches out of an egg. He goes and eats a leaf. Then he goes to a picnic, basically, eats a an apple and two oranges and like 17 cookies and all these lollipops and sausages. And, and then he gets fat and kind of has a tummy ache. And so he says he builds himself a cocoon. And, and literally the last two pages actually say this. It says he built himself a small house called a cocoon around himself. He stayed inside for more than two weeks. Then he nibbled a hole in the cocoon, pushed his way out. And you guys all know the story. And out was a beautiful butterfly. It's a beautiful story. Except if I was Eric Carle, I would write the ending a whole lot different. I would write it something like this. He, he was now he's big, fat, you know, the caterpillar ate everything. So he builds a small house called a cocoon around himself. He stays in it for more than two weeks, nibbles a hole in the cocoon, realizes that he's no longer a fat caterpillar, opens up his wings and says, shut up, I got wings. He's like, what happened in there? I gotta go tell Frank, you know, like this is crazy. And I'm just telling you, that's exactly what comes to my mind when I hear that verse. The old is gone, the new has come. He's got this caterpillar at one spot who kind of inches his way in. Something happens, and now he's a butterfly going, you got to be kidding me. You know, like, oh, I got wings now? And I wonder, I wonder if some of you need that sort of a moment. A moment where your old is gone. And you don't even know it anymore. You once were crawling on the ground, now you're flying. Again, let me read this part out to you. It says this in chapter 5, verse 17. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Do you need that moment? In the New Testament, it talks about this disease called leprosy. I won't put a picture on the screen because it's so graphic talks about a disease that eats your, your body, eats your hands and your toes, and it even will eat your face, and it's just horrible. And, and it's described kind of in that time that if you had leprosy, you were known as unclean, untouchable, and so you were cast out. And if somebody would walk past you, you would literally have to yell at them so they wouldn't come close. You'd have to yell, I'm unclean. I'm untouchable, get away, and you'd have to tell them that, and you're just known as the untouchable of society. An author named Pete Wilson actually writes this about this very idea of being untouchable. He says this in his book, Let Hope, and he says, is there a part of you that, that you think is untouchable? Maybe for you it's your past, and you go, that's my past, it's untouchable. Nobody would ever have enough grace me. Maybe there's something that's happened to you in your past that is so off limits because you think it's unredeemable. Well, Jesus longs to touch the parts of your heart that, are, you're, that you're withholding from him because those are the parts that need the healing the most. And I just, again, I'd ask you, is there a spot in you 
that you go, there's no way. I just feel so unforgivable. I feel so unredeemable. I feel so untouchable. You see, Jesus longs to touch those parts because he's the God who can make you clean. Listen to this passage of scripture in Luke 5. It says, one day in one of the villages, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down in him in prayer. And he said, if you want to imagine this guy whose body is decaying around him, he looks up to Jesus and goes, if you want to, if Jesus, if you want to, you can clean me. He's saying, you can heal me, God. You can restore me. You can touch my life, but you don't have to. It's only if you want to. He's begging God. You see my past, God? You see where I'm at? If you want to, if you're willing to, would you please have mercy on me is what he's saying. And then listen to how good Jesus is. He's so good because he leans down. And Jesus puts his hand on him, touches him and says, I want to. I actually do. I want to. I want you to be clean. Then and there, his skin was smooth and the leprosy was gone. Friends, the untouchable had been touched. And I wonder if you're in the room and your divorce is untouchable. And you're going, I still carry this weight that I feel like is so untouchable. And I just ask you if you'd have the courage to let Jesus forgive and that you move forward, I think you might find joy. wonder how many of you, the words that were said to you or the words that you said towards somebody else that caused a chasm in your relationship, I wonder if those are untouchable to you. And you're going, oh man, I don't, know if, I don't know if Jesus would have grace to heal me on that one. I just, I, I kind of feel like I'm a leper, I'm unclean. Maybe it's the embarrassing or painful moment of your past and you're going, it just feels untouchable. Friends, there's a woman that we have the pleasure of baptizing after the second service. Her name's Kaylee. And Kaylee would be the one to tell you that she felt like she was untouchable. That there was no hope for her. Instead of me reading off her story, we actually had an opportunity to bring her in this week and shoot her video. And I'm, t- I'm telling you what, what God's doing in her is moving her from the old being gone to the new is come. Check this video out and I'll wrap it up. Uh, I think the biggest uh, deal breaker. Um, I turned 21 and uh, I started drinking a lot. Uh, binge drinking every weekend, weeknights. Um, at the time I had my son. Um, I would drink till I was blackout drunk. Uh, manipulated by men and completely avoiding uh, being a mother and um, for a while I missed a lot of Ian growing up and uh, one night I just I was at home with Ian and he was asleep and I just held him and I just cried and I cried and I cried for hours, literally. And um, it was about one in the morning uh, and I just, I don't know, I just stopped crying. The crying was done and I just felt 
an actual like hug of strength. And uh, I knew that that was Jesus. And I knew that it was time to uh, let go of that life. Uh, Ian needed me and I needed myself. And uh, I knew that Jesus would pull us both through it and he definitely did. I had a friend come with me the first time. I was super nervous and church experiences before haven't always been what I hoped they would be. And um, I wasn't judged by any means. Um, I picked a seat in the back and uh, I walked out feeling brand new happier. I mean, the minute I walked out of the door, I was a changed person. Uh, when I stepped over the face line, it was about three or four weeks after um, attending City Point. And uh, every, every week that I left City Point, I was happier, stronger, um, and motivated to do so much more with my life. Um, me and my sister, about I think it was about four weeks and uh, Tony said the prayer and we said it with him and uh, I had no idea that my sister was stepping over at the same time and after the prayer she asked and sure enough we both stepped over the face line together since stepping over the face line um, I've become a much better mother um, sister role model employee um, all aspects of my life have just grown and um, <laughs> a couple weeks after stepping over the faith line we had our shatterproof series and uh, I decided I was gonna start tithing and uh, for me that was I don't get paid a whole lot and I'm a single mother and so my income is pretty tight but I felt like it was my opportunity to show Jesus I trust you, and um, I did. I 10% all the way, and uh, I can't put into words how perfect that's been. How I haven't had any financial issues. I haven't had any um, emotional issues. I haven't been struggling at all, and. Uh, I, I sort of told myself, really, I'm going to try it. If it doesn't work out, I might have to take it back. But it's worked out more than I could ever put into words. And uh, so I will forever continue to trust Jesus with my finances and the rest of my life. I think that the baptism is sort of like the, um, the promise to myself, to everyone, and to Jesus that he's first in my life from here on out. And um, although I've already been, I've already made that promise, I feel like the baptism is set in stone. Here it is. Jesus is first and we're second. Love her video. Love that. Kaylee would know 
that her sin doesn't define her. She's not defined by it, and she's moving forward. Love that. Friends, the third thing that I want to just encourage you to write down, and then we'll wrap it up, is this. You can't change your past, but God can change your future. You can't change your past, but God can change your future. You see, Paul, the guy who was writing the book, he couldn't change his past, but God could write for him a new future. David, the, the King David, the guy who wrote that, my guilt has overwhelmed me, that guy had an enormous past. Had an affair, killed a guy, and God rewrote his future. David couldn't change his past, but God could change his future. It's my life. It's Ryan's. It's a lot of yours. Where you go, I can't change my past, but God has changed my future. I want you to leave knowing this, that I might not be able to change my past on my own, but there's a God who loves me so much and he can change my future. You see, I think the two most powerful words in the entire, entire English language is but God, because it means there's hope. But God, listen to what it says in two verses. It says this in Matthew. It says, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Is your past right now one where you go, oh, it's just impossible? I go, Time out, you haven't experienced the but God yet. Because when I read the pages of scripture, when I see Kaylee's story, and when we are about to hear people's stories out when they get baptized, it's just over and over again, there's people who've experienced this but God moment in their life, and it's changed them. It's moved them forward, and they're not the same anymore. It's been my story. Another verse is Acts 13, verse 29. It says, they took Jesus down for the cross, and they buried him in a tomb. Darkness thought it had won. I mean, the enemy thought, it's over. We got him. But there was a but God moment that hadn't happened yet. See, the but God moment happened when it says they took Jesus down from the cross, they buried him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Friends, I wonder how many of you are in the room right now, and you're almost on the edge of your seats going, I need that for my life so badly. I need a but God moment. I have been here for far too long, and I've just been waiting for this moment for me to happen. Maybe you're here, and you're going, I need to have this moment happen for my addiction. I once was addicted, but God set me free. Is that you? Do you need that but God moment? Maybe others of you are going, I, I once was dominated by burdens in my life, burdens that I had caused, burdens by other people around me, but God has set me free. He's lifted that weight from my shoulders. Others of you, you know, I once was hurt by someone, but God forgave me, and he's helping me forgive them. I once was someone who was lonely, had no hope, and I thought I was unlovable. But God showed me by how much he loved me, by sending his son Jesus to die for me. That but God moment changed my life. It reminds me that I am loved. It reminds me that I do have purpose. And it reminds me that 
my best days are still yet to come. Friends, again, I'll just ask you, are you here? And you need to experience a but God moment. You want to overcome your past? You got to. We have to. All of us have to. Because we got to experience this thing called joy for our future. If you want that, it just takes a step of I once was lost in my own sin. I once tried to pull up my own bootstraps. I once tried to work hard enough. But God, when I stepped over the faith line, God did something in me. The old was gone. The new had become. I had given my life to Jesus. I had trusted in his forgiveness and his grace and what he had for me. And that but God moment has set me free. Again, I'll just tell you, it's why we do baptism. It's why we do that. It's because 13, or I don't know if it's 12, 13, 14, 14 people are going to be out there that have experienced a but God moment. Maybe you're here today and you're going, I've experienced that, but I've never done baptism. I've never done that. I just go, I think you're going home wet today. Or maybe you're going to leave here and you're going to go talk to Sam and you're going to go, hey, I need to get baptized. You're going to drive home. You're going to get swimming trunks. You're going to come back and you're going to say, I got to do this. I've experienced the but God. My life has been changed. And you're going, I got to make sure that I go public with my faith too. Others of you in the room, you're going, can we just, can you just tell me how to experience this? Can I just pray? Can I do this? And then you're going to want to do it right away. None of us drove more than 45 minutes to get here. You're going to drive home. You're going to drive right back. And you're going to say, I'm ready. I'm ready to go public with my faith. You won't be alone. There's a handful of other people who are going to do it with you. But again, I'll ask you, do you need to experience that moment today? The but God moment. If so, I want to just pray with you right now. You can bow your heads and close your eyes and you can experience the freedom that comes from you giving Jesus your life and knowing that God loves you just where you are, forgives you, and wants to move you forward. Jesus, here we are. God, today I want to give you my life. Today I want to step over the faith line. Jesus, today I understand that I'm a sinner. That I got junk in my life that's dominated me. But God, I've listened and I've heard that there's hope that there's forgiveness and there's grace and God, I want that. And so right now, God, I want to ask if you'd forgive me. God, I want to ask if you'd take me as your own. God, if you'd make me new. God, today I'm stepping over the faith line. I give my life to you. Friends, if that's you, would love it. If you feel like you need to get baptized today, that during this next song you would stand up and that you would go out the back doors and you'd see Sam there. You can't miss him. He's always in bright clothes and so you'd find him. And that you'd talk to him about your decision to follow after Jesus. Again, it's for each and every one of us who've had that moment happen in our lives. I want to invite us all to stand up. We can sing out this last song.